Have you ever lost your voice? <laughs> yeah, you know, in my 20 plus years when I was in uh, student ministry, um, there's a couple times that um, I came back from uh, retreats and I came back with no voice. Um, I mean, all I could do was give these crazy, you know, hand motions and directions, um, you know, a couple of head nods to my, my children. Um, uh, once in a while, I could whisper, you know, to my, to my wife. And, um, you know, whatever Becky claimed, whatever uh, my wife said, you know what? I couldn't contradict it. Um, I mean, hers was guaranteed to be the last word um, you know, the, the final last word. All I could do was basically, uh, w- without a voice, all I could do was smile and, and nod and, okay. <laughs> um, now, you can imagine, as I was smiling and nodding and saying, okay, you can imagine the uh, smile on my wife's face during that whole time. Um, you, know, um, you know, I kind of wondered about that a little bit. And I, I thought, um, you know, if the table were, uh, were reversed, um, how long could I take it without being able to hear my wife's voice? Um, I mean, I think it would be unbearable if Becky lost her voice forever. I mean, I know her voice better than any other. I mean, I can't imagine um, not being able to hear her voice again, not being able to hear her laugh or, or talk or or encourage, or express love, or, or disagree with me, or, or argue with me, and then us make up again. You know, I couldn't imagine it. It might be bearable, I, I gotta admit, maybe even for a day or two, but, but beyond that, I mean, it would make life unbearable. It would be tragic. See, where there is love and relationships, I got to tell you, there are words, right? Where there's love and relationships, there are words. That's why God gave us the scriptures, so we can hear his voice, so we can hear God speak. I think people all around us these days, um, they, they look at this book, you know, the Bible, and they say, you know, that's an old book you have there. Um, I mean, can can you really take it seriously? I mean, listen, Sutton, listen, we live in modern age these days. Um, And I tell you, it might be a good book, and it might have some good thoughts in it, maybe even some great truths in it, but really, come on, is it trustworthy? I mean, why would I let this ancient book determine my beliefs and my behaviors today in this modern society that we live in. (laughs) I mean, can this be authoritative? We are in our third week of our series alone, um, Five Core Beliefs. And this week, um, we're talking, um, during this series, I got to tell you, we're talking about five foundational uh, beliefs of our faith here at, at, at First Free. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Bible alone has unique authority to speak about these things, and all this is done for the glory of God alone. Those are five essential, non-negotiable 
beliefs that we as a church, we hold on to. And today we're going to talk about sola scriptura. (laughs) The belief that the Bible alone is God's inspired and authoritative word. Jesus, at the end of uh, Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we speak about the authority uh, of the Bible, I got to tell you, it's shorthand for talking about the authority of God. When we say the Bible has authority, what we mean is we mean that God uses the Bible to express his truth. God uses the Bible to um, uh, speak. God uses the Bible as his voice. And one of the best places, I think, for us to discover all of this is in Paul's second letter to Timothy. So I invite you this morning to turn with me to 2 Timothy in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. We'll start there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Follow along as I read here. But as for you, Paul's writing this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to notice uh, right off the bat here two things that uh, Paul talks about here, Paul mentions. First, when Paul refers to the sacred writings, do you notice that? Verse 15, acquainted with the sacred writings. And when he says all scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures there specifically. That's what Paul was talking about. But listen, if Paul were writing today, um, he would talk about both, uh, he'd be talking about both Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, the scriptures that we hold in our hands today. He'd be referring to God's complete word. Second, I I want you to notice here um, uh, the context of these instructions that Paul is giving here. In fact, uh, look back with me um, uh, at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. See, the last days that Paul is referring to here is the church age. And the the church age began at Pentecost, and it continues today. We are in the church age here. So we are also in the last days. So was Paul, and so was Timothy. And these last days, Paul says, will be difficult. They will be turbulent. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, who here needs proof that these days are difficult, that these days are turbulent? Nobody, right? I mean, all you have to do is uh, read the newspapers or listen to the, the, the news. I mean, just look around. Paul says these last days, they're going to be filled with evil men and women whose behavior is, is self-centered and godless, whose minds are hostile to God, who appear to be very religious, but 
they have no morality. In these times of difficulty, Paul tells us, there will be teachers and there will be intellectuals and there will be preachers, right? In and out of the church who will sound very convincing but will not be teaching the truth. They're lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and others. That's the world that Timothy was living in. And yes, I got to tell you, it's the type of world that you and I live in as well, right? So the question is, how do we survive them? How do we make it? <laughs> how do we make it in this, this turbulent world of ours as Christ followers? Um, I'm going to suggest we make it by learning, loving, and living God's word. We make it by trusting in the Bible alone as God's inspired and authoritative word. You say, uh, but why? Why would we do that? Well, first, because God's word is unique. I want you to see this. Paul here uses uh, a term, a -a one-of-a-kind term here in verse 16. Do you notice this? All scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed. Some have translated this uh, term to mean inspired. Um, but I got to tell you, today, today's word, uh, world, that word inspired um, takes on a variety of meanings, right? For example, uh, you, you could listen to a Mozart uh, opera or, or look at a Monet painting or, or you could listen to a sermon or speech by Dr. Martin Luther King or, or anyone else and, and, and you could be inspired, right? I mean, when, we, when, when we talk about inspiration in our contemporary culture, we're talking about how we feel <laughs> when we uh, uh, receive something, right? I mean... We're inspired. But when we talk about the inspiration of of Scripture, we're not primarily talking about how we feel when we read the Bible. No, we're talking about where the Bible began and the actual content of the Bible, Um, how the Bible came to us. Paul tells us that the Bible was uh, spirited or or breathed out. It was... um, inspirited by God to human beings. It's a product of God's creative breath. This means that this, I mean, this book, it came from God. God speaks. Scripture began in the heart of God, and so it's a, it reflects God's life. It reflects God's language. It has been breathed out by God. I was trying to think of a way to, to, to illustrate it. I think the, the best visual image of this is probably found in, back in Genesis chapter 1. Remember, when, when God created the, the world, he created plants and animals. He spoke, and they became. <laughs> he created water. He spoke, and water became. He created mountains. He spoke, and, and those mountains, you know, became. But listen, when he created human beings, um, when he created a, a human being, which was set apart, right, from all of the rest of creation, 
uh, because it was, the human being was designed to uh, reflect and show the, the glories of God. Um, what, what did God do? No, God, he, he scooped up uh, dirt from the, from the ground, right? And he breathed. He breathed. He breathed life into the into human being. The, the, that life of, of God from within God is what animated and, and made human beings so extraordinary, so capable of, of, of glorifying God. So when we say that the Bible was inspired by God, that God was the author and that the Bible came from God, it doesn't mean that God just thought some thoughts of, of the Bible. It means that he breathed out his life <laughs> and his language so that what we have today, listen to this, what we have today is not just some great book or, or, or a good spiritual source for, for insight. No, what we have is the word of God. The living God has spoken and he's given his life to people. Peter, in his second letter, explained it this way. Above all, Peter said, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book, you know, that you hold in your hand, or, or, or you have on your phone or your tablet. <laughs> you know, it's God's intellectual property. It didn't begin with human beings. I mean, think about this. King David, I, I, he just wasn't walking along someday and, and along on a hillside and, and look out and say, you know, um, I, I probably ought to write some things down, you know? Uh, some things that will motivate my children and maybe my children's children, you know? So, let, let's see. Uh, uh, what would be a good way to start this poem, this song? What would be a good way? Maybe, maybe I should say, Lord is my chief. Ah, that just doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Uh, how about Lord is uh, shepherd? Yeah, that fits. <laughs> no, that's not how scripture began. The word of God comes from the heart of God. It's God-breathed. The Bible is also unique because God's word is trustworthy. I want you to see this. You notice Timothy's long history here of trusting in God's word? Look back with me at verse 14. Look what he says here. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. See, Timothy has, has known the scriptures from his earliest childhood, presumably from his mother, uh, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, who, who taught the scriptures to him from his childhood, Paul tells him. In other words, Timothy has grown up learning uh, to trust God's word. He, I mean, he listened to his grandmother read him the scriptures, my guess is. He, he probably watched his mother, um, you know, his mother Eunice probably uh, read the scriptures in her, in her chair at night, maybe by lamplight, you know. And he witnessed God, the truth of God's word 
being lived out in their lives. I've shared with you before that in the last year of my father's life, he had Alzheimer's. Um, and I got to tell you, those were, those were difficult years. Um, so much of who I knew my father to be <laughs> in those final years was, was lost. Um, but I got to tell you, one of the greatest legacies, and it still is with me uh, today, I mean, all the time, but legacies my father left me is the memory of him in his study and reading of Scripture. My, my father wasn't a pastor. He was just a, 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 a teacher, a junior high counselor. Um, but he was a, um, a, an adult class teacher on Sunday mornings. And every Sunday morning, I, I would get up on Sunday morning, and he would be already up, and he would have been, been studying and, and reading Scripture, getting ready for his class. It was one of those values that... that um, he didn't necessarily teach me by instructing me, okay, here, here's how you read the Bible. <laughs> no, he, I learned that value by him modeling it for me. He was a man of God, and he's a man of God's word. Likewise, Timothy, I think, had become convinced of the trustworthiness of Scripture by watching and learning from his mother and his grandmother. Parents, just a little side note. What do your kids see when they watch you? Are you modeling for them not only, a, hopefully, a godly character in your home, but also a love for Scripture? Do they see you reading Scripture? Do they know that you memorize Scripture? Parents, do, do they know that you're, you're applying Scripture to your life? Are you modeling for them a, a trust in God's Word as authoritative? I mean, what a great legacy you have a chance to leave for them. It's the legacy of Timothy's mother and his grandmother that they left for him, that the Bible is trustworthy. <laughs> Read it. But the Bible, it's more than just unique, right? It's also very practical. God's word is useful which speaks to its trustworthiness. Because if something isn't trustworthy, right, I mean, it's not going to be very useful. Um, you know, a couple of weeks, Becky and I uh, are hoping to fly out to Arizona for my, my wife's spring break. And um, um, if our itinerary tells us that our flight is at 5 p.m., um, and if we show up at the airport and we discover that, in fact, the flight left at 3 p.m., <laughs> uh, the the untrustworthiness of that itinerary makes that document very unhelpful for me. Something's only helpful insofar as it is trustworthy, right? And because the Bible is truthful and trustworthy in everything to which it speaks, I can count on the Bible to be helpful to me in my life. So, so what's it useful for? Well, first, for salvation. Do you see that phrase at the end of verse 15? Look with me. It says, um, sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, the Bible does not bring us salvation. Salvation is only gained through faith in Jesus Christ, 
right? Um, rather, what the Bible does, it helps us understand uh, salvation, why we need it, uh, where it comes from, and how to get it. The Bible is essentially a story, the whole Bible is essentially a story of salvation. Have you discovered that? Its overarching purpose is not to teach us uh, the, the facts of science, which can be discovered through empirical uh, investigation, but rather the, the story, the, the facts of salvation, which no laboratory experiment can discover, that only God could reveal. The whole biblical story, it leads to the coming uh, of Christ. We're about you know, to celebrate the, the, the death of Christ on the cross, bearing all of our sin, his being raised from the, the dead and then exalted to heaven so that you and I can be rescued from our guilt and, and bondage and progressively experience the liberty of, of being God's children. That's, that's the climax of this story. See, none of God's salvation would have been known apart from God's divine revelation from God's word. Second, God's word is useful to bring us to full maturity in Christ. Uh, look with me at the way Paul describes it here at the end of verse 17. That the man, excuse me, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word complete could be literally translated completely proficient, being thoroughly equipped. It carries a sense of maturity and fulfillment. And this term that the ESV translate, translate the man of God um, uh, should really be translated all God's people. I mean, this thorough equipping, it's not, it's not just for a few special people or those called to be missionaries or called, called to be pastors, but it's for all of God's people. Any person who seeks to follow Jesus, uh, you know, Scripture belongs to everybody. The point is that God's word is sufficient for the formation of wisdom and faith in, in Jesus Christ so that we, all of us, might be able to wisely and faithfully engage in the world around us. So how's that happen? Well, it happens when we read and study and uh, apply God's word to our lives. I mean, look at the four key terms. You notice the four key terms that Paul uses here? He gives us teaching, um, reproof, uh, correction, training in righteousness, Teaching is the instruction, right? And this instruction is not just about heavenly things, but it's about practical things like how to be a good spouse, how to be a good parent, how to handle money, how do I deal with conflict, and, and, and so forth. Very, very practical, useful things in our world. Of course, this begs the question, doesn't it? Are we teachable? If the Bible can be used for teaching, are we teachable? Are we open to being a learner? <laughs> Reproof at first sounds kind of harsh, but really <clears throat> it, it just means confronting our wrong ideas about life. It assumes that all of us carry around uh, you know, some misconceptions and distortions about, about God, about ourselves, about life. Uh, 
those distortions need to be changed. The other day I was, once again, you know, reading on the Old Testament, reading about God's promise to Abraham of his son and how that promise didn't happen right away. And, you know, I'm always amazed at that story, how, how Abraham had to wait years, years, years. And yet God came through. God kept his promise. And as I, I read that, I was convicted once again of my lack of trust in God so many times, in his promises and in his character. I mean, okay, confession. I'm always in a hurry, it seems like. <laughs> you know? I want the answer today. I want to worry about life, you know? I want to get all anxious about what comes next. <laughs> I had to stop and pray and ask God to forgive me for my lack of trust in him as a promise-keeping God. I'm so grateful for the story of Abraham because it brought me back, to, again, to who God truly is. The Bible is like that, reproof. It's useful for life, friends. Correction. Correction is similar to reproof, but instead of beliefs, it focuses on behavior. Correction assumes that all of us, you know, we lose our, our way in life sometimes, that we can easily kind of wander off course. The Bible corrects us when it gets us back on track in life. And finally, training in righteousness focuses on the Bible's role in helping us live the kind of lives that please God. This assumes that a life of integrity, it doesn't just come naturally to us, that we need help to live the kind of life that uh, God would want us to live. The Bible trains us to do that, which we could not do on our own, and it comes to a, living a life of righteousness. John F. Kennedy, maybe you remember this, John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed in July of 1999 when the plane that he was piloting crashed into the Atlantic Ocean near Martha's Vineyard. His wife and his sister-in-law were also killed in that same plane um, accident. He was an inexperienced pilot who logged only 300 hours Flying the night was uh, he they were flying was was dark and the sky was hazy so that he couldn't see lights and couldn't see uh, landmarks and he wasn't qualified to fly by instruments alone. The official conclusion was that the crash was the fault of an inexperienced pilot who became disoriented in the dark and lost control. Do you know how we survive the darkness? <laughs> of the world we live in? Do you know how we as believers are going to make it through the temptations and the sin and the, the air of the, of the pluralistic and permissive society that makes uh, the sky so hazy around us that we're not sure which way is up and which way is down and which way is safe to land? <laughs> we do it by learning, by learning to read and check the gauges of Scripture by letting the Word of God be our compass. 
I got to tell you, that's not enough. I mean, you, you can't just say, oh, hey, it's a good thing to have, have the word of God as, as my compass. Um, so let me give you two pieces of advice that have to go with it. The first, like a compass, the word of God is only good when you actually use it. <laughs> oh, that sounds, makes sense, doesn't it? Listen, if God had spoken in time, then his word is immensely valuable and it's worth uh, navigating, exploring, and seeking out its breadth and depth and height. It's worth exploring from the beginning to end what God says. I love what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, the man whose Bible is falling apart usually isn't himself. <laughs> great statement. Friends, it's not enough just to have a Bible sitting on your bookshelf at home. Okay? It's not enough just to have an app on your phone. Bible app, you know? It's not enough to come to church once a week and to hear a, a, a sermon from the Bible being preached or to, to, to look at the Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You have to use it. Read it, study it, meditate on it, get into a small group that reads it and studies it and, 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 and draws conclusions and, and helps you transform your life through, through it. Because it's life for us. Second, like a compass, a word of God is only good when I trust it. Not just when I use it, but when I trust it. <laughs> if you don't trust the compass... Listen, you start walking in the opposite direction, right? And when you do that, you get even more lost. The same is true with Scripture. We need to let it give us directions, and we need to follow it. We need to trust it. To say the Bible is without error doesn't mean that the Bible isn't challenging. Friends, there are sections in Scripture, i got to be honest with you, I don't even understand, really. Maybe God will give me understanding one day, and I pray that. <laughs> I mean, there are passages in the Bible that, I mean, I, just, I get done reading, I scratch my head, and I say, God, I, I don't know what to do with this. What I hope is rather than letting those kinds of discoveries drive you to doubt, you let them drive you deeper into his word. And as you wrestle and as you wrangle with the word of God that you believe to be from God, God will draw you closer to himself. In his very excellent book titled The Reason for God, Timothy Keller says this about wrangling with difficult passages of scriptures. He writes this, if you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and you reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a Stepford God. You don't want a God like that. You don't want a Stepford God, a God essentially of your own making and not a God from, uh, with whom you can have a relationship and a genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you... Struggle, as in real friendships or marriage, will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your own imagination? 
So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It's the precondition of it. Listen, if I expect the the Bible to change me, there's going to come days when it challenges my thinking and and my heart. And I got to tell you, that's okay. That's good. But you can trust it. You can trust the Bible because it alone is God's authoritative word. Recently, Felix Suarez, um, many of you know Felix, husband of Maureen, whereas one of our faith community nurses was told by his doctors that he has uh, pancreatic cancer. Two Sundays ago, some of our council members and, and Pastor Jay and I We went over, anointed him with oil, and and prayed over him. During that whole process, Felix and Maureen continued to say that they are trusting in God with whatever happens, and they're also trusting in God's word. See, only the Bible can speak with authority into, into situations like that, friends. When people are in crisis, in a hospital bed, In jail, I mean, this is the book to read. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. (laughs) Listen, when a marriage dies and when hope gets lost, God's word has power. God's word accomplished creation. His word brings conviction of sin. His word brings hope in times of despair, power in times of weakness, and guidance in times of darkness. His word, right, is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto your path. It's the story that gives your story meaning. It's worth the time and effort to read it and and to study it. People complain, listen, it's not easy. But listen, What in life is deeply worthwhile and and profoundly transforming that's easy? (laughs) Listen to it in your car. Whisper it to yourself when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. Uh, Write it down uh, on little yellow sticky notes and post it up in places. You know, scripture, get a daily Bible reading program going. Get an app for your phone. Do whatever it takes. Become a student of the Bible. Study it, meditate on it, memorize it. Ask questions about what it says. But most of all, do what it tells you to do. Submit yourself to this book. Don't be driven by your experience or by your desires or by what is culturally trendy. No, let the word of God make you into a person of God. In this turbulent, upside-down world of ours, let your life be driven by the word of God. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the word that you have given to us, that you speak into our lives through your Holy Spirit, God. Might we not just read it, but be doers of your word. 
might we build our lives on that solid foundation of the word of God. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.